I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. everybody happy monday we're recording before the timberwolves game obviously because it'll be like 3 a.m by the time the game's over and i'm in for me and i don't want to do that as usual i'm joined by my homie my compadre my co-host in crime mr will weir and we have a special guest so we're not going to talk about the timberwolves game because to do that we'd need to see into the future so what we are going to do is talk about the upcoming Toronto's raptors game on tuesday which means we need to bring in somebody that knows the raptors better than what we do so I've reached out to a good friend from form. Well, from when, well, yeah, we used to kind of kick it on green room back in the day when, uh, when it was still locker room. Oh yeah. Esperahini. Um, did I pronounce that right? Absolutely did, man. Yeah. yeah right. He's from the score formerly of Raptors Republic. S man, what's going on, bro? No, I'm good, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, I'm excited to talk about the Celtics because they have been one of the more interesting teams of the year from the ups and downs that they've dealt with to, you know, becoming a contender now. So it's it's fun to talk to two guys who, who know their stuff, right? Yeah, man, we're uh, we're happy to have you here. And I want to clean something up real quick because Adam's got UK brain sometimes when it comes to scheduling. The game is Monday, not Tuesday, just to make sure. I, I think ah. I do Tuesday your time, but I want yeah. to go ahead and just just get that off the top here. So <laughs> we're see, not confusing see, people. <laughs> so I click on to my, that, that's the problem, right? It's not even UK brain. Like if I go and type in Celtic schedule, it will tell me what time the game is or the day and it will be, it will It'll automatically say, convert. Yeah. yeah so I'm like, yo, when, when do we play the Raptors? Ah, oh, Tuesday. And then it won't be until tomorrow when, like, I'm, like, working out my workload for, for the day. And then I'm like, hold on, we play today, not tomorrow. And then, like, I have to backtrack a few things. So I, I do appreciate it. it's a back-to-back. Uh, yeah, we got you, man. I, I will say, man, like, I commend you for being an overseas NBA fan and reporter and coverer of the game because when I was out there, it was tough to be watching constantly. And, you know, 2, 3 a.m. at night, 12 o'clock at night, you're there, you're trying to catch the games live. It's tough, man. That's a tough schedule to work at. Yeah, so I've kind of accepted that catching games live and having a family isn't ideal so um, <laughs> yeah i've got my little routine dan i mean everybody listening knows i kind of turn my notifications off i don't check so from when i go to bed i try not to now I, sometimes i fall victim to this i'll i try not to check anywhere that the scores are going to be floating around right so if i log into twitter i kind of just stay away from my dms i stay away from certain lists that i use and i kind of just check my notifications I won't log into the NBA app. If I log into Instagram, it's just in case someone's DM me. Other than that, I try and stay away from it. And then I have my league pass with the scores turned off. So then when I click on it, I just don't know what happens. So then I can kind of get... Because when you come into the game knowing the score, it's cool. You can still enjoy it, but you don't ride that wave as much. You know? It's a full-time yeah. job trying to avoid all the all the scores, the notifications. <laughs> yeah. Man, that's, that's exhausting just hearing you list all of the stuff that you have to do. And, you know, the handful of times being, you know, in Austin, Texas, not in Boston, but it's an hour difference, which actually works to my benefit. So games that are on, you know, supposed to be 10 p.m. on the West Coast, it's 9 p.m. here. Still late, but 
not as late, which makes a massive difference. And so the handful of games I miss, I always ask Adam because I'll go back and watch it the next morning, but I can't avoid it. Like I'm not going to go through all of that rigmarole that he just listed (laughs) there for like the three games a year that I can't, (laughs) that I can't catch in real time. So once again, Adam, just, uh, you know, a testament to your hard work right there. Do you know what's the worst one when you wake up randomly? Like, um, so when they were on this West coast road swing, it was one of the games, I can't remember who it was against, and I, I randomly woke up at like 2.30am, just like hella thirsty. So I go and make a drink, and then I'm awake, right? Because you've got up, you've walked around the house a little bit, you kind of, you, you're not awake, but you're nowhere near going to be able to just fall. So you put the game on. So then you kind of come into it not knowing what's going on. There's like You don't understand the flow or what's... You see the score, you probably catch a quarter, and then you drift back out of, con- out of consciousness. But then you wake up in the morning, and you- it's worse then because you're like, right, I know up until this point, <laughs> they were either winning or losing, and now I don't know what happens after. So on the rewatch, you kind of you get to a certain point, you're like, right, I remember from here, and then you get further down, you're like, I remember to here, and it, it just kind of throws that flow off even more because then instead of focusing on what's going on, I'm more like. Man, I, I was so tired when I was watching this. I didn't, I didn't realize that they ran this different role here. No, it's it's a nightmare, dude. But you, like, part it's a it's a labor of love, right? That's kind of how I have to look at it. Yeah, but uh, I appreciate the comment, the commendation. Thank you very yeah, much. Man. Well, let's hey. let's, get in, let's get into this here. Let's talk about let's talk about these Raptors. Yeah, I want we'll talk more these about Raptors. so we'll talk more about the Celtics here in a minute. But on our last show, as Adam and I kind of went through this practice of power ranking potential. Celtics opponents in the playoffs. So factoring in that, you know, the Raptors, which are now the sixth seed and they're hunting down that five seed, you know, the Bulls, Bulls better yeah. watch out because the Raptors are right there right now, just a game behind. So we kind of took it as the Bulls, Raptors, Cavs, and Nets is the most likely scenario of the the bottom four seeds in the East. And when we got to the Raptors, man, you said the Celtics are interesting. I think the, the Raptors are fascinating. <laughs> I think the way that they play, the style they play. And one of the guys I'm, I'm curious to get your take on is Scotty Barnes. So yep. we have a third member of our team here that's usually with us. And actually, he's been keyed in on Scotty Barnes and the Raptors <laughs> all year. Literally, literally from the first preseason game, he came on the show with, with uh, myself and Adam and, and was said immediately from a preseason game watching Scotty Barnes that he is year two Giannis and his floor <laughs> is Sean Marion. <laughs> <laughs> verbatim that was this man's take shout out to our guy greg that was his take and listen scotty barnes is going to finish at minimum top three in the rookie of the year voting he's been fantastic yeah. give us you know as someone that's been watching him all season up close you know give us your takes on scotty barnes and, and what you've seen from him man um i guess first off i would say you are absolutely right the raptors are one of the more interesting teams this season just because they are confused Using as hell <laughs> they are they are they are one of the most unorthodox teams to watch in the nba just because they don't have a conventional rim protector they have all these guys who can do a little bit of everything right space space out the floor dribble shoot ball handle like they, they can do pretty much everything throughout all five positions on the court at the same time so it, it provides a lot of versatility but at the same time it provides a certain level of redundancy that makes you question like all right, what's going on here? Like, what's the end goal? Like, what's the end vision? Uh, and sometimes you get to see it. You know, the Raptors fans, they've talked about it a lot with their their six foot nine all lacrosse starting lineup where, you know, even the point guard sometimes in Scotty Barnes it is six foot nine, right? Um, so it's, it's interesting in the sense that they're just unconventional. They don't play basketball the same way. If you watch them, they are one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the NBA. It sometimes looks like they are playing a different sport 
genuinely. It looks like they're trying to throw the the ball at the backboard and hopefully corral it and go up with it. That's like that's one of their sources of offense. And a guy who is incredible at that is Scotty Barnes. He has found this way to be this magnet on the on the glass. He just knows he has a knack for it. I'm not gonna say it's like Rodman esque. But he just boop, 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 boop. You've seen that clip, right, from the last dance, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's He just has an incredible knack for rebounding. And it's it's kind of shown up here out of nowhere. I didn't expect him to be this good of an offensive rebounder. That's one of the interesting parts of him in general. But Scotty, man, he is he kind of fits the bill of that unorthodox style that the Raptors play because he is also a very unorthodox player. Like, he doesn't really fit into any mold. There's no real comp that you can give him. If I had to, I would say the ideal ceiling is like a blend of Jokic and Giannis in some form where you can attack the rim, you can make plays from a standstill position, you're able to dribble the ball as if you're some six foot nine Magic Johnson type point guard. Um, and also, you know, you're able to defend on the other side of the court. So it's just, it's interesting. His ceiling is so incredibly high that I have no idea what kind of player he'll end up being, but there's no doubt in my mind that he'll, he'll be a superstar. Like there's no question at this point that, you know, from what we've seen over the past, whatever games he he's going to be, he's going to be different in a couple of years. And when you're talking about the unorthodox stuff, like that feels to me, like that's just Nick Nurse's coaching style in, in, in a nutshell, right? Like this dude yeah. is, he will do whatever he needs to do to make get his team wins. And if that means playing in a way where nobody understands what's going on for like 40 minutes of the game, then <laughs> that's because that's fine. If it's working, it's working, right? With yeah. Scotty Barnes, I mean, I wish I'd seen more of him this year. I've probably seen like maybe six games at most. So I, feel, I don't feel nowhere near qualified enough to kind of have an opinion. Yeah. Obviously, I can regurgitate things, but it's not the same. What would you say, like, his biggest area of weakness is right now? We're talking, is he solid on defense? Is his floor space? Is his shooting not that great decision-making? Where's he? Where's that one thing that he really needs to tune up? Yeah, I, I would say it's his defense. Um, you know, coming into the league, uh, there was there was this idea that, you know, he already had the defensive side of the ball, you know, figured out. He had the playmaking, you know, the, the fast-break transition style that he likes to play. He had that figured out. But actually, it's kind of been the opposite. The offense has, has flourished. It's blossomed. But the defensive side of the ball is a place where he struggled. He, he tends to play way too aggressive up on guards. He thinks that, like, he's kind of like that slap the floor and, like, try to guard every single March player. March Madness, the, the Duke guy. Yeah. He's not a Duke guy, but I know what you're saying. But that's, he, that's he has that sense yeah. to him. Yeah, he has that sense to him. So, like, he thinks, he thinks he's going to be able to guard the quickest, the fastest player you know, up to like chest to chest. And it just sometimes some of that attitude is is not going to work out. He has to end up being a smarter defender, um, you know, just to kind of have that poise and understanding of what's going to happen on the court. The scheme is something that he has to adjust to. But it, I, I've said this and I have a video coming out actually on Friday uh, making the pitch that he is the rookie of the year. Um, so, yes, I, I actually do think that there is a pretty good argument for him being the rookie of the year because of the fact that he is, in my opinion, the most well-rounded rookie so far this year. Um, even the offensive side where he has shined and, and shattered expectations, he has carried a lot of what the Raptors have had to do with Fred Van Vliet missing time and Pascal Siaka missing time. That He's he's arguably been their most consistent player. Um, and, and then on the defensive side of the ball, while he still has his 
his mistakes, his lapses, you know, the things that we always expect from rookies, he still shows these flashes that make you say, hey, this guy will end up being a very, very good defender in a couple of years' time. So I, I think the the weakness, the one weakness I would point out is the fact that he's probably a little bit too aggressive on ball when it comes to defense. So you mentioned earlier that this Raptors team is is exciting, but they're also confusing, right? Yeah. So, like, as we were getting set to, to record with you, you know, I obviously I've been seeing the Raptors rise. They've been one of the hotter teams in the league. And I was checking in them. I watched their, their game against the Cavs the other night. And, you know, I, I think their lineup versatility and the uniqueness in the ways in which Nick, Nick Nurse uses their lineups is part of what makes them really hard to game plan for. And so I tried to look into, all right, what's their best five-man lineup? Like, who are the Raptors' best five players? When it comes down to, all right, we need our best guys out there. And I couldn't figure it out for the life of me trying to look <laughs> through the statistics. I tried, you know, filtering by the minutes, filtering by the games. And yeah. it was really difficult to find out what it is. So I'm, I'm curious from, you know, your perspective as someone that's closer to the situation, you know, what is the Raptors either best style or best lineup? Or is it the fact that they don't have one and they can match up with anyone in a certain yeah. way or at least throw a curveball? Maybe that's their best asset. But I'd be curious to hear about that from you. I actually think what the Raptors do is that they force you to play their style Um, and their style is they want to induce chaos on defense. They know that they don't have a conventional rim protector to be able to funnel to the rim, right? So, so they can't funnel anybody in and hope that some guy is going to be blocking and protecting the shots like a Gobert, like a Mobley, like a Jared Allen, like a Bam, like they don't have that type of guy. Um, So they're constantly overhelping and that overhelping it causes a lot of breakdowns on defense, but it also causes a lot of turnovers. It causes a lot of fast breaks. And that's like, that's how they like to play. They like to play quick. Um, if, if I had to pick a lineup that worked towards that specific style, it'd probably be their small ball lineup, which is Pascal Siakam at center, Scotty Barnes at four, OG Ananobi at three, Gary Trent, and then Fred Van Bleet. The reason I say that is because you have three floor spacers in Gary, Fred, and OG who can kind of knock down shots. All three of them are in and around 38 to 42% three-point shooters, depending on it. Um, Fred is obviously one of the best three-point shooters in the league this year. And then you have pretty much defensive versatility all throughout, kind of like the Celtics in the sense that all guys can switch, all guys can can match up and and kind of, if a, if a pick and roll is coming, they're going to switch that screen and or maybe even try to like hedge over or hedge and recover. or Or actually, maybe they'll even send a double and try to get it out of someone's hands and then quickly try to X out whatever shooter is in the corner. But I, I think that's, in general, their lineup would make sense with Pascal at five. It, it does lead to a lot of situations where, all right, cool, if they're facing an Embiid, if they're facing a Jokic, if they're facing a big like that, they might run into trouble. But they're so over-aggressive on defense, to a fault sometimes, that you know, they can cause turnovers and and get running against pretty much any team. And that's what they're going to try to do um, in the playoffs as well, I think, especially against you guys. <laughs> so I'm, I've been looking at your guys' kind of like shot profile, where the majority of your shots are coming from, and then looking at the success of those shots. So this season up to today, you guys have took 2,775 shots at the rim, which is by far your most attempts of anywhere on the floor converting at 49%. So that kind of streak speaks to that lack of a true big, but also you're still there about one every two shots. And obviously you're saying you're throwing balls off the, the backboard, corralling them to try and get some easy offense there. Makes perfect sense. 
when it comes to like the three point line, it seems that you guys are very heavy on the wings, right? So you've took 785 shots on the left wing, 692 shots on the right, 32% on the left, 33% on the, on the right. Yeah. And so what my kind of concern is when you guys come up against a team like Boston is they're going to do, if you watch the game that they played against Utah, they did everything possible to get Utah. It was a great game. The brief. Everything yeah. possible. It really was. Um, to get them off the three-point line because Utah live or die by the three. So I feel like in a series between, and I'll kind of premise this by saying on the last episode we did, I did say that I'd feel like the Raptors would have the coaching advantage because it's Nick Nurse and he's got that championship experience and mm-hmm. he's just been around the game longer and he's kind of this... Don't get me wrong, I've said this many a times, I really dislike how Nick Nurse conducts himself on the sidelines, but he's <laughs> a very, like, it really, really like, aggravates me, but uh, he's a very good like coach. But like, so my argument, my question is, if Boston found a way to take away those shots around the rim with their double big lineup of Al and Rob and then sliding in yep. Grant Williams, Daniel Tice, where does Toronto's offense come from at that point? Because you, you've got... Fred Van Vliet, I get that. And then you've got probably, you've got Trent Jr. who's back. He's back now, right? Because he's been out for a hot minute. Well, he's he's, he's out now, but he, he's back and forth. He's kind of day to day every day. But, but outside he's of that, around. <laughs> I, I'm not sure where your three-point shooting comes from because if I'm looking, I've kind of pulled up where you guys are in terms of accuracy from three. And you've got Siakam, he's 38%, but he's only taken 190 attempts this year. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same. Van Vliet's a bit different. Van Vliet's at like what five hundred. He, he shoots like ten a game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ten. No a game. I didn't realize it was that high. I'm looking at the same stat right now. But like you know, Norman Powell right now would be exactly what you guys would need going into the playoffs. It just feels like yeah. it's very, it's a very one-dimensional offense, and I'm wondering if you can kind of put me straight there. Yeah, there's no, there's no doubt that the offensive side of the ball. Um, like I said earlier, is kind of unconventional. Like they they're really grasping at straws here a lot of the times to create offense. Uh, no, it's 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 to be quite frank. Like like a lot of the times they 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 can't generate or create an advantage by themselves. You know they don't have that that shot creator like a Jason Tatum. They don't have a, a guy like a Jalen Brown who can end up creating a shot for themselves in a way that that kind of you know makes it so that the half court worries aren't as bad. Right. Or you have a, a last minute resort or a last second resort in a Tatum or a Brown to be like, hey, go get us a shot. Right. Go get us a bucket um, with the Raptors. They do have advantage creators, but you're right. They they rely heavily on their release valve guys, which are Gary Trenton, OG Ananobi, and then to, to a certain extent, Fred Van Vliet, unless he's he's on ball. Um, I think I think the main guy, you know, the Norman Powell, so to speak, in this situation would be OG. Actually, he sh- he's shot 40 percent uh, from three over the last three seasons, I believe. He's a knockdown shooter, and over the past couple of games since he's returned from injury, he's actually done exactly that. You know, there's draw and kick situations, whether it's Pascal who draws help, and then he kicks out, you know, corner three for, C- for OG, and it's it's money every single time. So I think that's going to be a key aspect. It's, it's Pascal, actually, that is going to be the main, main question here. And look, I'm sure you guys know Pascal has been a very, very heated topic of discussion between Raptors and Celtics fans. Because of what happened at the bubble, so it's it's something that it's something that a lot of Raptors fans kind of like have marked out on the calendar. Because even if um, you know the Raptors and Celtics end up facing off in the playoffs, they want Pascal to have his how should we call it redemption? You know, win or loss, win or loss, they want him to have that series mm-hmm. and be like, all right, cool, he actually showed out in this series and, and did his thing. 
I think he's more equipped and well well prepared this time around compared to two years ago because he's become so much better as a playmaker. He knows how to manipulate defenses. He knows how to, you know, kind of notice the help and see what's coming and say, all right, cool. If if the help is coming from this side, I got the weak side, you know, I'm going to kick it out to them, et cetera, et cetera. Like he, he, he's dissecting plays and he's kind of probing a lot more. I think that's the biggest question or uh, I guess solution for, for the Raptors offense in the sense that it kind of all re- relies on, on Siakam and what he can create. That's a great segue. I'm glad you brought it up. This is something I definitely wanted to touch on because to your point, (laughs) right or wrong, you know, that bubble series sticks out in the, in the minds of, you know, Celtics fans, Raptors fans. And I mean, there's no way to beat around it. He was not very good in that, in that series, you know, looked up the numbers he shot. I think it was 38% from the field and 12% from three, you know, 15 points per game. But if that's the only thing, and I do this at times too, where you see something on a big stage and for better or worse, sometimes that leads you to irrationally believe in somebody or to, you know, kind of take away from that player, even though they've evolved. And that's what I've seen this year when I watch Siakam, especially as you were talking about, you know, him as that, that kind of, that point guard P type role, you know, where, where he's the yep. one handling. And I think it makes actually Fred Van Vliet that much more dynamic when he's off ball, because if, you know, if he's 100%. the one getting it to catch, shoot, make a decision, that's your secondary creator. Like that, that's a whole new wrinkle. And then when you add in, if you have OG and you have, you know, um, Gary Trent in there to kind of space it, that's just a whole different dynamic. So, you know, I, I'm curious to know, like, when did, because I started seeing this and I don't know when it started. When did, you know, Pascal kind of taking over some of the main ball handling duties start? And do you think that's probably the, I want to say it's the, you know, the, the, the best tool that they have to maybe, you know, create an upset in the first round is utilizing that weapon of, of Pascal Siakam on the point and maybe rolling with Fred Van Vliet off ball. No question. There's there's no question. You're you're right on the money. Ding ding ding. Like it's AEW. Uh hundred percent. Like <laughs> no it, AEW. <laughs> <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, look, the, the idea has always been I, I love the the fact that over the first month and a half with Pascal out, they kind of gave the reps to Fred Van Vliet to become more of a pick and roll initiator. He was becoming better as a ball handler, as a primary ball handler, as a primary creator for them. But at the same time, it, it always made more sense for him to be off ball. And you don't have that point guard. You don't have that prototypical point guard to create for you. So Pascal has kind of slipped in here and been that guy. And he's he's thrived in that situation. I'd say within the first, you know, month or so of him returning from injury, which I believe it was about mid-November where he came in, mid-December is when we really started to see Point Pascal take over. And it was just because it made more sense. One of the Raptors' go-to plays, and I'm not sure if I'm just giving away the playbook here. Sorry, Nick Nurse. But, like, one of their go-to plays in the clutch is uh, a, an inverted pick-and-roll with Pascal and Fred Van Vliet where Fred is screening, you know, for Pascal, and then he kind of slips the screen, and, and it's a wide-open three for Fred, Fred almost every time. They beat Washington twice this season because of that exact same play. So I I, I think the main thing here with Pascal is, is they've, learned how to play with him as their primary guy. And it's interesting because I actually think Scotty, who has an overlap of a lot of skills with Pascal, um, it, he's he's kind of learned to take on that role as well as a primary initiator. So now you have two guys who can kind of create advantages for other players. And now that's a, it's kind of like a double-edged, double-edged sword, right? I'm, I'm using that acronym, right? Yeah. Or, or that, that idiom, whatever it is. You got it. You got it. Yeah. You got it. Yeah, you're you're using that essentially to to attack a defense. I think that's what makes it so much more challenging now for teams that are trying to game plan for the Raptors is that you not only have Pascal that's trying to 
you know, dribble it down your throat and drive the ball to, to create an advantage for one of their shooters. But now you have Scotty trying to do the exact same thing. So it's kind of double the trouble there. So that's exactly what Boston have been trying to do with uh, Tatum and Brand. What they've kind of done recently, and I'm very happy because it makes me feel like I was on the money for over a year, was they've pivoted Brand to more of an off-ball play finisher role. And that's working exceptionally well because Brand's just so explosive and so dynamic off-ball. Uh, but I can see why teams love having these two wings that can both create, initiate, and self-create. One of the things we spoke about in the last episode where we were t- discussing the difficulties of coming up against Toronto in the playoffs, because, you know, one game in towards the end of the season, so it's cool and that, but I, we're interested in what's going to transpire over a seven-game series. Yep. Was we, we went through a little exercise where we tried to find out who had the advantage position by position over the top six position? Like, you know, you've one through five and then you're six, man. So I'm going to read out some names. Um, in I'll read out Boston starting five and, and then their six, man. I'll let you read out Toronto starting five and six, man. And then you tell us who you think has the advantage in each position. Okay, it's good that you're going first because depending on what your starting lineup is, the Raptors starting lineup would be completely different. So right this now. is why I'm not telling you who the Raptors starting five are. Yeah, so, and, and that's where we ran into trouble. So yeah, yeah this is why we had to bring you in. We got to go to the bullpen here. I got, you. So I got you. The usual starting five is Marcus Smart at the one, Jalen Brown at the two, Jason Tatum at the three, Al Horford at the four, Rob Williams at the five, Derek White mm-hmm. is your six man. Right. Yeah, they probably they'd probably throw in uh so so they wouldn't go with their small ball lineup. They wouldn't throw Pascal at five there just because they'd be giving up their main advantage of offensive rebounding. I'd imagine they'd probably start Kem Birch. Um they probably start Kem. He's 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 probably a bigger body than Precious, although Precious I would say is a is a better rim protector and defender. Um so yeah, they go they'd go Kem Birch, Pascal Siakam, uh Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent Jr. And oh man, see this is tough because you can't take OG out. This is tough because you it, like taking OG out. It, it's it's removing a three point threat for you. I think they would end up going OG and then Fred, and then you bring Gary Trent off of the bench. Probably, yeah, that's probably what would happen. If, so if that would give us that would give us a Fred Van Vliet versus Marcus Smart matchup. And now we had Fred Van Vliet winning that matchup in a one v one. I think that's fair. Although I'm a big, I'm a big Marcus Smart guy too. I hope that man wins the Defensive Player of the Year just so I can push propaganda in the next couple of years and, and say that <laughs> we'll help you do that. So if you need a yeah, lineman on that, this is the right show. Yeah, yeah, yeah I got you. We've got you back there. Yeah. So yeah. then we had Jalen Brown winning the battle between him and OG. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Tatum winning the battle between him and Sky. Yep. Yeah. And then it got difficult, right? Because Horford's a wily veteran. That, like everything he does is understated, but his impact is so like nuanced but then you're coming up against someone like pascal siaka yeah yeah so so it was kind of like uh, and we ended up going with did we go with a tie or did we go no with we siaka? went with siakam on this this was the we one where it was siakam. you know like we know what al brings to the table but at the end of the day siakam's whether you want to call him currently the best or second best player between him and van vliet we know barnes yeah. is kind of the future but like it's got to be siakam over over horford but you know it's it's not a massive gap but it's it's definitely siakam I think. Siakam's also like he's he's put himself, especially this year, put himself in the conversation for an All NBA spot. Whether he gets it or not yeah. is is yeah. out, you know, neither here nor there. But yeah, I, I would probably put Siakam in that advantage too. I guess the C spot would be the the winner though, because I think Rob Williams has just been freaking phenomenal this yeah. season, right? Um, and Kem Birch. Yeah, Kem Birch is not comparable. And I think, <laughs> I think you have that Kem Birch too, but that's where it's like. 
do should we have gone with Kem or was it yeah. Precious or does Thad Young get you know I don't know if he's gonna get a start but you know Thad Young you can throw yeah. him in the mix as part of this you know six six and up just everyone switchable and long mm-hmm. and so you know I, I think Rob gets the advantage over any of those quote-unquote tradition I forgot Boucher too forgot yeah. you know as those quote-unquote traditional centers like he I think gets the advantage there for but sure there's a yeah. ton of versatility that the Raptors can throw at that five spot yeah, and they the Raptors they they love throwing. So what they'll do is six minutes into the first quarter they'll throw in Precious and Boucher together. Um, so they'll throw both those guys in there, and then it'll be that'll be kind of their double big lineup. And those guys are just they're they're tasked with go get a bunch of offensive rebounds, go out rebound this team in the next six or seven minutes, and let's see if we can kind of stay afloat on offense this way. Uh, they've been very successful at doing that, actually. That double big bench lineup has been very, very good for them, especially in this last month or so. So I'd look out for that if you're a Celtics fan because I, I think they'll throw that at them. I, I, I know that you guys also have Grant that you can throw out there, which has been a revelation for you guys. I saw a hilarious Batman trailer for the man the other day. I saw that was, today, too, yeah. Uh, that was that was comical. <laughs> but, um, no, he's he's been, he's been awesome for you guys, so I know that's another guy that you guys can rely on and depend on. The odd man out, or I guess not even the odd man out, but the one outlier in the rotation for you guys, uh, defensively at least, is Peyton Pritchard, right? It, it's It's that guy that teams will probably end up hunting if it's a playoff series. Like if it's a seven-game series and he gets played, they'll probably end up hunting for him on switches just to be able to punish you guys and try to get some easy points. But, yeah, I think that it, this is a tough series to, to decide, man. This is a really tough series to decide. I think yeah. with Pritchard as well, like um, he is definitely the target. It's just inevitable. The only yeah. difference is from a Celtic standpoint, we've come from – Kemba Walker being a target that was just incredibly susceptible because he just didn't have that tenacity as a defender right. to now Peyton Pritchard's a target, but the dude's a little pit bull. Like he's still going to fight and he's going to get under you. He's going to lower his hips, make sure he's hard to move. And you're still going to be able to take advantage of him. I'm not saying that it's a uh, last cause. I'm just saying from a Celtic standpoint, I'd much rather you target someone that's going to fight on every possession there's right. somebody that's just going to be a turnstile when they're just like, yes, Mr. Nasty person, please go past me with the ball. <laughs> and, and this is, that's how it felt last season, man. And this yeah. is a bad matchup for Peyton Pritchard if we're talking about versus the Raptors. Because I think one thing that Ime's done a really good job after finally giving in and giving, you know, Peyton Pritchard the, the minutes is he's done a really good job of stacking him up against other teams, second units with, you know, support of Jason Tatum and other longer guys that can be out there to, to kind of support him on that mm-hmm. defensive end. With the Raptors, you know, other than Fred Van Vliet, y'all don't really play anybody that's, you know, shorter than 6'5". And so just from that standpoint, there's not really a great lineup that you can can put Peyton Pritchard out there without him taking advantage. Because if you look at some of these other teams, you're going to find backup point guards that, you know, Adam's point of the tenacity that at least Pritchard's playing with on defense, you can get by. And then the advantage he gives you on offense with his shooting and his spacing, you know, you can kind of play that balance for 15 minutes. But I think with the Raptors, it's really hard to use that shooting. And I think that's one of the parts where both neither of these teams have a a ton of great depth. They both go relatively short rotations. Yeah, it's going to be like seven or eight, right? Seven. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's that's for both of them. And so if you take away Peyton Pritchard, like that hurts our depth, like Mm -hmm. way more than it probably should. But because it's only eight guys, you take away one. And now all of a sudden you're down pretty quick. So I think that's another just interesting wrinkle is that within the Celtics Raptors matchup, Peyton Pritchard's just probably not going to be as effective just just based on the lineups. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll say this, though. Um, man, in the games that you guys have played against us and since Peyton Pritchard 
has been drafted by the Boston Celtics. He has absolutely torched the Raptors. Like, you know, there, there's guys, uh, and I'm sure Celtics fans have this as well, that just end Ish up Smith. killing your team. Ish Smith, right? Is he is he a Celtic killer? Look, oh, there's, there, there's guys, we have an entire award for it. We call it the Gerald Henderson Award because Gerald Henderson <laughs> would always pull up to Raptors games and drop 25 points. I, Peyton Pritchard is very much so a Raptor killer. He just, he somehow seizes the moment every single time. Uh, and, you know, the Raptors being so susceptible to, like, help, helping and doubling guys, and especially mm. if they're going to be doubling Tatum, doubling Brown, there's going to be so many open shots for guys like Derek White, for guys like Peyton Pritchard. And if and if they're knocking them down, which is which is kind of my question to y'all, right? It's, it's you know, the, the shooting has been a question uh, pretty much all throughout the year for you guys. Can you guys rely on the Grant Williamses of the world the the obviously Peyton Pritchard is a good shooter, but like the Derek Whites of the world, can you rely on those guys to knock down those shots in a seven game series when let's say they're doubling Tatum on every possession, they're doubling Brown on every possession? But yeah. So I'm pulling this up now because I saw it the other day and I want to get the position the, the positioning right. So bear with me for two seconds. Okay. Because I kind of thought about this a bunch, like coming into the playoffs, is the shooting going to hold up basically? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. from the 1st of January, when I kind of marked that as the turning point, it kind of happened I agree. before then, but the 1st of January, yeah. the Celtics are fifth in three-point percentage. So they're a top five three-point shooting team since the 1st of January. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean much because once the playoffs come around, everything changes. It's a, it's a new season in effect. But the reason I bring that up is because Peyton Pritchard's hitting very consistently. Grant Williams has been exceptionally consistent from the corners. Derek White, if you're relying on him for three-point shooting, something's gone drastically wrong. Because <laughs> he, he, he's not that guy, right? He's a connector. I don't I don't value him as a floor spacer. He can hit yeah. the shots, but like um, if you're relying on him, as you put it earlier, as a release valve, then things aren't working out the way you want them to. And maybe you need to pull the ripcord and throw in an Aaron Neesmith or an Ixtauskas. Right. Um so I think it can hold up, but I genuinely believe it's kind of like um, for for Peyton, this is only his second play. It will only be his second playoff series. Grant Williams is a little bit more experienced there. I genuinely think it's about how these guys handle the intensity, the difference in playoff basketball. And then when you're talking about a team like the Raptors that are so long, and one of the words I like to use to describe you guys is disruptive. I feel like you you just disrupt every pass, you disrupt yep. every drive. So coming up against a team that's incredibly disruptive, that can close out rapidly due to that length and alter shot trajectories from three or feet, four feet away from the shooter, that adaption is going to be what I'm going to be co- um, interested to see if that playoff series did come to fruition. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about it, Will? Yeah, I mean, I think the the question of will the Celtics shooting hold up? I mean, I think that's every team that plays against the Celtics is is kind of wondering, you know, because they're they're going to, as we've seen, force the ball out of Tatum's hands, and that's you know a big reason the Celtics are actually climbing the three point percentages is because Jason Tatum is just shooting the ball better. He right. was shooting the ball at roughly 30, 31% from three for, for most of the year. And now he's climbed back up. I think last I checked, he's somewhere around 35%. His career average is about 37, 38. So you think usually a guy of his caliber is having a quote unquote bad year shooting. If you're a 38% shooter, that's usually about 35%. He was at 31 and he's having right. an all NBA season for everything else that he's done. And obviously, you know, he's turned that around. So that's a big factor within this. And, you know, I, I the key guy within all of this to Adam's point, 
Derek White obviously coming back to somewhere in the just in the vicinity, like just somewhere in the yeah. vicinity of his of his normal average would be nice. And I think that would would help. But I think for me, the real key factor is Al Horford. And, you know, Al mm-hmm. was a guy that when he came in, you know, we talked earlier about what's the Raptors best lineup, the best lineup in, in all of basketball this season, five man lineup by far net rating wise has been the Celtics starting lineup. And that really started to take off from the offensive side. The defensive side is kind of held up throughout for the most part. The offensive side started to take off when, like I said, Tatum's shooting started coming around and Al Horford's shooting started coming around. You know, when he left OKC and when they had to bench him because him and Shea were giving them, you know, too low of, of, you know, draft odds, like he was shooting 36%. And that's where he had kind of been somewhere in that 34, 35, 36%, just like Jason Tatum. He was sub 30. He was right around 29% for most of the year. And and I, I forget when it has started, but from about mid January till now, he's closer to that 36% range. So yeah. I think Al Horford to the point of us talking about him versus Siakam, whatever earlier, Horford's going to be a major swing guy when it comes to that offense, because he's going to be in that game, you know, with these short rotations, like we're talking about, he's going to be in those games, 30, 32, minutes is going to have to push it a little bit so he's going to be the one i think for me that has to be the the main guy knocking down shots the reason the reason i ask uh, my fault go ahead ahead. that's fine man i was just gonna say uh it wasn't made no difference go ahead man yeah (laughs) excellent point adam excellent point great podcasting you are welcome (laughs) no the the reason i ask is because the the raptors offense and you're right they are disruptors but they are very conducive to allowing a lot of three-point shots they just let teams shoot a lot of threes and it's because what they do is they don't have a, a a typical rim protector so they end up digging they end up pinching on a lot of drives and it ends up being, all right, cool, kick out. Let's see if someone else can hit this shot. So I, I think more than uh, any other playoff series, a Raptors-Celtics playoff series would be predicated on, all right, cool, can the Celtics hit their shots? Can the Raptors hit their shots? Because neither team is very good at finishing at the rim. Uh, I think the numbers all year have kind of shown that. They're, they're not necessarily – either team is – I believe – hold on, let me double check. I have this right here. Both teams are, in terms of accuracy – Let's go to cleaning the glass. Good old cleaning the glass. Um, yeah, so Toronto is 26 in terms of rim, rim accuracy, and Boston is – they've bumped up a little bit. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm looking at frequency here. There we go. Yeah, so they're they're actually right beside each other, 24th and 25th in rim frequency. So they, they just don't get to the rim at all, really. Uh, and I know a lot of that is going to be for you guys um, – how Robert Williams impacts the game, you know, in terms of the pick and roll. Is he going to be that rim runner for you guys? Lob threat. That's going to be a huge aspect in terms of defending you guys. But the other aspect is, can anybody, you know, hit those shots when we're pinching on drives, when we're digging in on things? That, that's going to be the main question for both teams. That's why I asked if, if the if the shooting is something you guys believe in going forward. But yeah. You guys are six in mid-range shots, mid-range frequency. Yeah, we take a lot of mid-range shots. Yeah, love yeah. it. Grew up in the nineties. <laughs> I'm all in on the midi. 
give me more and then it's because because of freaking it's because of gary trent jr and it's because of scotty barnes those two players take a lot of mid-range short mid-range you know pull up they they take those shots a lot uh gary was hitting them at a an astronomical rate at the start of the season he's kind of slowed down towards the you know, t- towards the tail end here. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a huge part too, man. If, if they can get him coming off of DHOs, if they can ke- get him coming off of like pin downs on the corners and get him like in a position to pull up in the mid range, maybe that's another source of offense for them. But it's huge question mark at this point. How much of an X factor or a swing guy is Gary Trent Jr.? Because I feel like some nights, you know, obviously he's had a couple 40 point games this, yeah. you know, this season. But then other nights I either watch or I check in on the box score and, and, and you see at times, you know, just very little activity or or very, uh, you know, ineffective frequency. No, you're right. Not, not, so I'm curious to know how, how big of a swing is that for y'all when you, when you look at potential postseason success? I, he's he's a microwave guy, man. So it really just depends on if he's feeling it. If if he, if he is hitting and he is like you know hitting his shots, he is with the best of them. I mean, if you look at his mid range attempts, his pull up attempts, he's literally on par with Kevin Durant and Zach Levine and Chris Middleton. Like those are the those are the guys he's kind of competing against in terms of pull up jumpers. But at the same time, he has these stretches where he he can't hit a shot, you know, at all, right? So it really is like he's just a microwave score. It depends if he's on or off. If he's on, you have this other guy that can act as a release valve, another guy who can act as like a tertiary option option on offense. But if he's off, you're you're kind of limited, um, especially in terms of shooting and spacing. And that's why that's why OG is so important because you know if Gary isn't hitting, then you have another guy who's who's at least at a forty percent clip that can hit it. The only other question I've got, and then I'm going to let you ask us some questions because I know you said you got some things you want to ask about the Celtics. Then we'll let you out of here. Promise we'll let yeah, you go. Sure. I'm not going to keep the prisoner. <laughs> um, what, do you guys switch a bunch or are you very much, uh, do you run more zone? Like what's your kind of defensive identity there? Yeah, I mean, it depends. I, they they don't run a lot of zone, to be honest with you. Actually, uh, the a question that I had was was regarding the zone and how much you guys run it because the Raptors do not do well against the zone at all. Um, neither do Boston. Neither do Boston, right? Yeah. Yeah. See, I, I, <laughs> we don't run a ton of zone either. I, don't, I can't really. I'm, even you just saying that, I'm trying to picture us running zone, and I I, I don't want to say we haven't run it all year, but I very very little. Yeah, very, yeah I mean. Very, you guys know Nick Nurse. He'll throw it in there, you know, maybe for like four or five possessions a game, and then they'll switch back to man-to-man. But, like, um, I, I think that's going to be an interesting aspect of the series, too, because, look, if if either team throws out zone, it might actually throw a, a wrench right into any kind of offensive system either team has. In terms of defense, they do switch a good amount. I don't have the numbers here. I, I, I don't have uh, the numbers for exactly how much they switch, but they do switch a good amount. They're not the team that's playing their traditional drop coverage at any point in time. They're, they're going to be, you know, hounding on defense. And even on pick and rolls, they're going to try to they're going to try to double the ball handler and get it out of his hands as soon as possible. So let's say it is a smart pick and roll. There's, they're probably going to end up doubling that just so he can kick it out to Horford. And then they're going to try to just rotate constantly to be able to, you know, X out, X out and solve out that defensive possession. It That's, that's essentially the way the Raptors play, man. It's like, they want you to, to, to play quick on offense, they want they want to speed you up. They essentially want you to like react and try to make things happen quickly and on a dime because they want you to mess up. 
essentially. They want you to have some kind of bad pass, a bad turnover, um, kind of an oversight on offense, and then it's transition, you're out and running. That's their goal, essentially. And if they can do that against you, uh, no matter what kind of defense, whether it's that zone defense they want to throw out there, which they do, it, they, they're not a high-frequency zone, zone defense. They don't use it that often. But if they have to against the team, um, it's been pretty successful. It's been pretty successful, which is why I'm curious if it'll work against the Celtics now. But. Hey, Nick Nurse is not afraid to throw out defenses. I think he's the not at first all. NBA coach I've ever seen when y'all busted out the box and one. Yeah. yeah. Like, I thought back to my, like, CYO basketball days when there's just that one <laughs> kid who, you know, you're all 12, but he seems like he's 16. And yeah, it's yeah. like, all right, well, let's just guard him. And we don't care about the rest of the team. Like, yeah. that was fascinating to me. I was, like, wanted, like, I had to, like, watch a few possessions to be, like, are my eyes seeing what I think I'm seeing <laughs> right now? We're looking at a box and one in an NBA playoff game. So, you yeah. know, I, I know Nick nurse is going to have some, some tricks in his bags, but I'm curious to know what questions you have for us. I didn't know that this was coming. So now I'm excited. So <laughs> I, I mean, I kind of, to be honest with you, I kind of interlaced them throughout. I, I wanted to ask you guys about the rim frequency. If that was something that you guys were kind of worried about, um, you know, obviously the Raptors are also a team that doesn't really get to the rim. So I think, you know, shooting is going to be the main factor here in a series between them. But are you guys like, in terms of what you guys have seen over the past month for the Celtics, do you think there is a legitimate option to getting to the rim? Is there a source there for you guys to tap into if need be to, to finish at the rim or even at least get to the rim? Was you passing it up to me? I was yeah, passing it, it to you. To you. <laughs> I was passing it to you. Um, it's like when being on, you know, when you're in the, um, uh, you watch the two players sit down for the press conference and they're nodding at each other like you did. <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, now nah, you grab it. Yeah, I think that one of the biggest things for the Celtics, if you watch them through the year, is they're, they're getting downhill quite consistently, but their offensive game plan is get downhill, cause the collapse, kick out. And just can't, and then you know, swing it where it needs to go. So, I think that if they needed to, they could alter that a little bit. That when you get downhill, maybe somebody's weak side cutting or coming off the baseline where you can just do a little wrap around and get an easy finish. I think Tatum's finishing around the room was quite questionable to start the year. That's changed a little bit, Matt. Now, one of the biggest weird kind of things I picked up on early in the season was the Celtics didn't really seem to be dunking much. Um, it was very much finger rolls or layouts. Do you remember me moaning about this, Will? Yeah, I mean, I everyone besides like, Rob Williams. Yeah, that, that, fits, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> I was very, very perplexed at why guys weren't going up strong to the rim. Yeah. As the seasons wore on, you know, J- Jason's going up strong. Uh, Jalen's going up strong. We've even had a few Marcus Smart dunk attempts over the last few months, uh, which is rare. Um, so I think they can get to the rim. I think if they need to, but I'm not sure how viable it is going to be as like your meat and potatoes of the offense. Do you know what I mean? Like I wouldn't right. want them to be relying on rim finishing because outside of Robert Williams, these guys, if you're getting, if you're consistently asking them to finish at the rim, you're taking away so much of what they're good at. And so much of that creation that we spoke about, the ball mm-hmm. movement will die. We'll go back to isolation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Nick Nurse has won. And in the world where Nick Nurse wins, somewhere somehow does just a flock of crows falling at the same time <laughs> the apocalypse is starting yeah <laughs> the only thing i'd add to that is that the celtics if you look at their offensive statistics from like a full season 
point of view. They're just so skewed to how bad it was early on, and especially right. when you yeah. think about, you know, part of the issue with the offense early was was there's a lot of one-on-one isolation. You add in Dennis Schroeder to the mix. By the way, ask Adam how much he loves Dennis Schroeder. He was really <laughs> sad to see him go. He would come on here every podcast and talk about his <laughs> his love and affection for Dennis Schroeder and his mid-range pull-ups. And so when you think about that rim frequency throughout the season, I don't have what it is, you know, from this, like, as we talked know, about since, you know, it. January 1st or what it might be. I, I would expect to see a difference. I don't know that to be a fact, but just thinking aesthetically of like how the team has played that I would assume that that plays into it. So some of the offensive statistics for the Celtics are always kind of hard to look at from that full season, because these are pretty much two different teams in the same season. You had me curious. So I just checked. Uh, they are uh, actually Raptors kind of improved as well. 21st and 22nd. So Boston's 22nd. Okay, slightly better. Raptors, not, not yeah, massive, a little bit better. Yeah. 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 I mean, look, even a little bit better is, is, is going a long way in terms of rim frequency. Second question, last question. This is the only thing I wanted to ask you guys. Look, a lot of the conversation around Tatum um, and, and Brown to a certain extent, but mostly Tatum has been, you know, can he, can he develop that area of playmaking, right? Can he, can he help others? Can he help find shots for others? I think he has this year. I really do think he's, he's improved in that level. But what have you guys seen from him in terms of, you know, creation for other teammates that is a wrinkle that a lot of people aren't noticing or maybe something that the casual fan wouldn't realize? Yeah. So number one, totally agree that Tatum has has made that that leap, I guess, if you want if you want to call it. I mean, some mm-hmm. of the passes that he's making now, I think back to that jazz game, there was a, a, out of a double team, a, a pass that he made towards the baseline where it was kind of a pocket pass, but not really a pocket pass. Like a, like it was like a reverse. Like I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was so not part of Jason Tatum's bag, you know, earlier yeah. this year and certainly not years before that, that he's he's really leveled up. And I think the part for me that is is really he's not he's he'll make the simple pass. So when he gets that double team, he's happy to to not feel like he has to either dribble out of it. He's got to shoot out of it. He's got to make the play on himself. He's happy to utilize the safety valves that he has in Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, Al Horford, all great guys that can then initiate, make the next pass, make that hockey assist. And so I think just him being more aware and being you know more comfortable, just making that read right away like it's a very simple thing but i think he's a lot more comfortable doing that this year than i've seen in years past and i think that makes a massive difference and he's not worried because he knows everything's coming back to him he's the yeah. unquestioned guy like at the end of the day the ball is going to find his way back to him but he trusts his teammates more he's not afraid to make that pass and to you know adam's point earlier not having jalen brown as that safety valve but having those other guys i mentioned and then brown's attacking off the wing or off a diagonal cut or he's like you know spacing out to get a jump shot that is part of what makes the Celtics offense go. So that part yeah. of Jason Tatum's game is just kind of almost, it's, it's so simple, but I think it's highly effective for, for what it's done for his game and for the team. I think the only thing I'd add on to there is when we were talking, when we saw Jay, Jason, um, I f- went to say Jason Brown and I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> when we saw, t- when we saw Jason Tatum originally be given the ball and asked to play make uh, like, you know, 18 months ago at this point, he used to have to drag his dribble out coming off to pick and roll, you know, so he could scan the floor while he's coming off his screen. And sometimes, you know, you when you do that, if you're trying to kick it across court, you're moving further and further away from your pass target. Yep. And then the Celtics kind of had to short pick and rolls to give him an option down on the post. And everything just felt labored, right? Like now he's, he's processing speeds way quicker. He understands where he wants to go, who he wants to hit, get the ball to. And he can do it off the dribble. He can do it off the drive from a standstill. He's just got more of a all-around passing game now. And you see some high-level passing, three or four high-level passes from him 
every game. Whereas before we'd get one every three or four games, and then it mm-hmm. was one every two or three. Now it's three or four a night. And obviously, as you know, watching um, basketball yourself, elite passes don't always show up in the box score because an elite pass doesn't mean it's going to a guy that's going to finish the shot. But yep. he's he's definitely controlling the game more. I feel like since he's been able to create off the dribble a little bit more for himself, for others and himself, he's he's controlling the pace because he knows that teams are going to have to try and play at his speed. And that's kind of that, I like the word cerebral, that type, that kind of cerebral approach has really mm-hmm. started to elevate him as an on-ball guy more and more. Uh, and then obviously you have the scoring threat that teams have to try and take away as well. So I think yeah, the processing speed and the being able to create off the dribble are probably the two biggest areas of improvement for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, man, because like a lot of the things you guys are saying, um, I feel like I can apply to Pascal and, and, uh, and the playmaking yeah. that he's, he's developed, right. It's, it's, it's just interesting to see the parallels. I think obviously Tatum is, has taken off and, and become a superstar in his own right. But you know, there were the conversations there, especially with them, you know, being compared a lot in the earlier stages of their career. Mm-hmm. It's just cool to see them both be at their different paths of development, like being where they are. So that's that's all I wanted to ask y'all. The, the, actually, I do have a final question. <laughs> yes, one more. This, this, Let's is get what, it. I, this is this is just this is off rip, just a random thing. So look, a lot of Raptors fans are scared of a Celtic series, right? Mm. I, I'm 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 one of those Celtic. I'm one of those Raptors fans, I should say, or Raptors media members that that is is kind of skeptical, right? Uh, I, I don't see a, a route where you know a Celtic series goes in our favor just because of the fact that, like, look, th- these are two teams that can get schemed out in very similar ways, and they have to. They're they're actually kind of like they're looking in the mirror to each other in a lot of ways with the, with the way that they play. You're basically uh, giving our podcast for that we, that we did last episode. Yeah, when we talked I, about I, this. We were like, it's like looking in a mirror. He's validating yeah. us. Yeah, I feel good. I, you're you're <laughs> right though. Like it it just it is a lot like that. So I I I just don't see. I I wouldn't pick the Raptors right now in a series uh, in, against the Celtics just because I think. The, the and and to be honest, the main factor for me isn't isn't Tatum, it isn't Brown, it isn't you know Derek White or Marcus Smart. It's Robert Williams. It's the fact that when all things fail, when the switching fails, when everything else ends up going to crap, you still have someone that can protect protect the rim and can protect the paint. And the Raptors right now do not have that. And I think that might end up being the the X factor here if a series goes down. But yeah, that's that's I just wanted to. So, so let me ask you this, S, before we get you out yeah. of here. So. So who is the first round match? Because that was part of our whole premise of our podcast that we did last, yeah. last earlier this week was ranking, you know, out of the potential opponents. We all came away with the Cavs as the number one team. We want to play Bulls two, Raptors nervous. We think we're, we're going to win, but it's like you said, it's like looking in a mirror and then nobody wants to play yeah. Kevin Durant and Kyrie in the first round. For y'all, yeah. you're on the other side of that. So you're probably going to play in, it's all so tight right now. No one knows where you're going to finish, where who you're going to end up playing, but likely you'll play either the Celtics, the Heat, the Sixers, or the Bucks. Who is the team that y'all are looking at? Like, yeah, we might be able to make a second round if we get this matchup. There, see, this is tough because it's like, look, out of all the teams, I would like to avoid the Bucks. The Bucks are the one team that I feel like, uh, despite the fact that the Raptors actually sweep the season series this year, they they the Bucks didn't beat them once. Uh, I still do not trust in a playoff setting for that to be the case. Um, and obviously with Giannis and, and things like that, and Middleton finally getting to his shooting rhythm, I. That's the last team I want to be able to face. Um, I actually think Boston would be second last. I'm not trying to face them as well. And then it's between Miami and Philly, 
to be honest with you. I think the, I, I was skeptical about how the Raptors would look against Philly, but they've done some things in their games against them, especially even fully healthy, that has made me think there's there's a way to beat this team. And they have seemed susceptible to certain schemes that I think you know the Raptors can throw out that would actually pressure them a lot. Despite the fact that, look, Embiid is having an incredible season. James Harden is James Harden at the end of the day. But I, I actually think schematically, it, it works well in their favor to face the Sixers. And look, the Heat right now, they're struggling. I think it makes sense, you know, if, if you could tackle, kind of jump on them at the right time, it's kind of perfect timing for them to to beat that team as well. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the order I would go in if I had to pick. Whoever thought we would have been picking Miami as the ideal opponent. Yeah, I know. Man, no, they, are, they are going downhill quickly. I don't know what's going yeah. on in South Beach right now. It is just they night after night. They need some boxing gloves, love. man. They just need to open a fight club up out there, man. <laughs> let Butler and Spo go out. Well, let Butler and no, Haslam Butler, go out. Real quick, yeah. Butler versus Haslam. Who you guys got in that fight? Oh, man. Butler's like, well, Haslam's like 40, right? I don't know. He's, he's still got like hands. He's, he's, he's the OG. Strength, he's the OG. You old know? man strength. He's gonna like. Yeah, I'm taking Haslam. Yeah. I think I got Haslam. And he's also like six eleven. Yeah, I'm taking Haslam. I'm <laughs> yeah, definitely he's taking got Haslam. the reach yeah. as well, huh? I yeah. think. But yeah. but that's the top. He'll come in. No man, he'll get bob and weaving. <laughs> yeah. the group. It's like, oh man. Yeah, I'm I feel, still. Like, I, I feel like Haslam could absorb a few of those blows and still be yeah. like, yo, man, this ain't my first rodeo. Like, yeah. I've been, let's go. <laughs> hammer fists. Get been there, man. done that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. I just want to end this by saying that Will's lying. Um, I did not like Dennis Schroeder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> couldn't let it go. Couldn't let nope, it go. No, nope, no. Nope. You know, earlier when when I was like, it it won't make a difference, and I was about to jump in and call you out and saying I love Dennis Schroeder then, but I've waited till now. I've been fair. <laughs> I couldn't let S walk away thinking Adam not Dennis Schroeder. I'm sure yeah, I knew, people. man. I knew. Yeah. Listen, it's it's very hard to like. Anyways, we'll we'll, we'll, we'll skip on. <laughs> Dennis Schroeder catching strays. Right, if you've enjoyed this show, then make sure you go give S some following. Well, some love. Follow him. Share his stuff. S, where can everyone find you? Uh, you can find me at Twitter, uh, at Just S. Barahini. Uh, you can check out my videos on the Scores YouTube channel. Recently did a video on the Celtics defense, uh, coming up with a video on Scotty Barnes and the Rookie of the Year race uh, this Friday. So be on the lookout for that as well. And as usual, you can catch us again on Wednesday when we talk about more things related to the Boston Celtics because that's what we love to do. Will will be here. If you didn't realize, actually, sorry, Greg, we've left this to the very end. Greg's not with us this today when he usually is because he's out in Boston at a wedding. We should have premised that instead of just not giving Greg any love at all. So well, I we, do we shouted him out with his, uh, you know, his Scotty Barnes hot, hot take. Is How like do you feel about that Scotty good. Barnes hot take? I actually don't mind it. I mean, look, I think it's it's a wild take. It is yeah. a wild take, but like I this like is after I told a preseason y'all. game, by the way. This was it was one of the preseason games yeah. that he came on with this. So he, he's been on <laughs> it from the start. So I got to give him that at least. Hey, props to him. I look. I mean, it's it's a it's a wild take, but like like I told y'all, like the ceiling for what a Scotty is, like the absolute ceiling of what Scotty is, is like a a morph of what Giannis and Jokic are, and. That's an insane player. So that's a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. (laughs) All right, everybody. We'll catch you again on Wednesday. S, thank you for joining us, man. I really enjoyed it. Appreciate you guys, man. Thank you so much for having me. Ain't disrespecting you haters. I ain't sweating your opinion. Y'all been testing my patience. Never did it for a check. I've been impressed with the famous. Just rather be creative than stressing my wages. Ageless every time I lay a verse down. One play at a time. Keep it moving like a first down. And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this. MJ never made it to the major. Still, he chased greatness. Expected that he might.
might fail, and I might too. I might never get to pop champagne, celebrate.